to talk to everybody about today. We, we've been this, in this series that started out being a series talking about eternal life and how the eternal life equation, uh, maybe we have the terminology wrong. We try to understand when they were uh, back in Jesus' day and they were trying to define this thing that was on Jesus. And, uh, and uh, uh, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, how might I have eternal life? Rich young ruler comes and how might I have eternal life? How might I have? And we've interpreted that to say, how might I have life that keeps on living after I die? And there's not, a, there's, I guess there's a concept in there a little bit that it's like that, but that's not really what those people were coming to ask Jesus about. They were coming to ask him about how do I have what appears to be the God kind of life that you appear to be living right now? That you have this exuberant joy. I mean, every day, Jesus, imagine Jesus' ministry comes down every single day and waiting for him at the door are a whole band of religious people who are ready to go and really take him on for the day. He's, gonna be, he's meeting up with sick people and broke people and lepers and death and sickness and misery. Everywhere he goes, he's encountering this kind of an atmosphere. But for some reason, whenever Jesus gets into that area, there's something being exuded out of his person like B.O., that when he goes into that area, how many of you have been around me when I've been a little hot and sweaty for a day and it's like 10 feet or so, you're good. You get inside that 10-foot window and it's all bets are off. Well, Jesus was like that. When he would get into an area, then the, that region around him would be experiencing this other world kind of an experience. There isn't an account in Jesus when Jesus was healing all kinds of sick people. Jesus didn't have healing lines. He didn't have fire tunnels. He didn't do all of the, he just, somebody just came within a few feet of him and they got healed. And so I think that this is what they were experiencing. Just Jesus just shows up, there's 20,000 people. How many of you have ever been in a crowd of 20,000 people? We get that in a football stadium nowadays or a hockey rink. And Jesus says, where's lunch? And all of a sudden, Jesus, no, 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 take this fish and just start handing it out. Jesus blessed the fish and the loaves, and it was like this basket, this little bag of lunch. You just kept reaching in there, and there's more. Could you imagine having that experience? And they're thinking to themselves, how? And really? Imagine reaching into your wallet and taking out a honey and then reaching back in, and there's an. And then you take that one out, and there's a. Take that one out, and there's a. Can you, can I, now that might be messing with our money supply a little bit if you start doing it too much. But this is what they experienced with Jesus. And so what they're saying is, how do I get that? How do I get this effervescence? There was a joy to him. There was like a, he's, there's, you know, I think there's a one word in there that says he used to twirl. You know, I, I, I demonstrated for you, but you know, then I'd fall over. That Jesus was so happy all the time that he would twirl. How's that? <laughs> Michael got nothing on me. You see, but Jesus, would, he would just, that, that's not because he's a whack job. He's doing that because he's just so excited. He's got so much joy. It's like overflowing out of him all the time. 
that you have misery or depression or sickness come into his, and it's just like, it's like, it, like you know, you put oil in a, in a jar and you pour water into the jar and slowly but surely all the oil goes up and out like that, wherever he went. And people are saying, oh, what, what am I even, exp-? so much so that people come, I'm, I'm going to present this as a, a way to expand our understanding of what eternal life, what are they saying? They're actually saying life like God has it. Amen. I don't know how else to explain it. It's like you say, you know, you go down to the, to the, to the marina down in uh, Boca Raton or something like that, and you see this enormous boat in the, in the, in the marina, let's say, and you'd say, oh, that must be life like Donald Trump has it. Wouldn't you say that? Or he makes some reference like that. That must be life like a sultan of Brunei has. Or you'd make some reference to, I, I, I can't even kind of get the concept here of a 200-foot boat. And you'd make a reference. Wouldn't you like that? I think that's what they were doing. I think they were saying, observing Jesus, you're not just some religious person who's miserable and sad and broke, <laughs> tired and worn out. It wasn't, that's not what they saw. And it kind of freaked them out because that's what they're used to seeing. You know, oh God, such a burden, you know, it's so hard to serve God. You know, take time to take up an offering. Time to serve God again, you know. That's what they saw. And now they see this guy. Can you imagine what that would have been? So anyway, so we've been spending time with that. And then Jesus was there and he's explaining to us the formula. It was a simple formula. He just said in Matthew 21 or, or, or several places in, in scripture there, he says, all I need you to do is believe and doubt not and say and receive. It's a simple thing. Really, if you have problems somewhere in your life, I could tell you where those problems are. You think I'm brilliant. All I'm listening for is what do you believe? What do you expect? What are you saying? And what are you receiving? It's simple. They're always there, there. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, gosh, believing is not actually that hard, or at least it's not hard in the sense that you don't have to believe a lot. I mean, if you just believe God loves you and he's good, that'll about do it. Really? Like if your dad, like I know my father, my natural father, I think he's here today. He's been visiting with us for a few weeks. There he is in the back there. God bless you, my dad. So I know my dad loves me and I know my dad is good. And so I know that, I, that I, I could give him pretty much any problem at all, and he'd do his very best to help me. To whatever degree he could help me, how high, whatever, it doesn't matter, because he loves me, give me anything he has, he'd do anything for me, and I know he's good, that his answer would be somewhere around the good zone. If you know that about your heavenly father, God, you're, that's it. You're kind of, you've got a good life already. I mean, you'll learn a bit more, sure, Isaiah, Ezekiel, that'd be good, Revelation, that'd be, you'd have some fun. But if you know God is good and he loves you, you're pretty much taken up in the what do I believe department. Now, how hard is it to say? It's not really hard to say. What I've noticed is how, whatever I think, I say. You know, I told them, I think the other day when I was up here, that there was this meme on Facebook. It was a thing about this particular part of your brain that is, it's a, it's a thing where you think something and before you say it, there's this piece of your brain that interrupts the process so that what you think doesn't come right out your mouth. And the meme was, hmm, I ought to get one of those. <laughs> but it's really not hard 
to do the say part. Because once you believe something, then you're gonna, it's going to come out your mouth. And then really the receiving part is part of the process. And so I'm thinking to myself, this has got almost no hard parts. Except this little tiny thing where he says, if you would, doubt not. And so I'm thinking about this thing, doubt. Can I, can I, can I show you something? This is kind of how it works. You can have your faith, what you believe, the truth, comes from the book. Help me, Jesus. The book, I'll put a little cross here. I like this for artwork. Okay, here we are. So out of the book comes the truth, not hard to find. And you can have one piece or 10 pieces or 200 pieces, don't matter. You're going to get what comes out of that book is goodness, right? The problem is where, the, where doubt comes from is from all the experiences of your life. Can I tell you? All of them. This is an interesting part about a human brain. Your human brain remembers every detail of every second of your life. Can I tell you something? Since conception. That's when you're a zygote, two pieces, two little cells. Your memory system is storing all that information, but it does you a favor. It doesn't give you all that information at one time. It stores 99% of it. The only stuff that comes into your conscious mind are kind of the most relevant of things that your soul, your real, your inner self thinks are important. And so it's really limited how much we think we remember. But we actually remember extraordinary details about everything. All those past experiences are producing my hope or the opposite, my doubt, my expectation of the future, positive or negative. So I'm thinking to myself, holy Toledo. The faith part of this, the believing part of it, now there's some stuff we've learned about how do you believe. You gotta make sure, you know, believing is not just thinking, it's not just knowing that there's a believing part of it, but it's relatively simple and you don't need a relatively large amount in order to live a victorious kingdom life. It's in this area right here where we are bombarded by all the negative. We're bombarded particularly, I was talking to Pastor Alex the other day, and he was saying, like, why do we, are we so, we have such a propensity towards the fear, the dread, and the selfishness. Why is that? And we were just chatting about it, and, I'm, and, I, and then I had uh, David Marguerite uh, the other day, we were chatting about it as well, and it kind of came up, we were sitting in a restaurant, Sunset Grill, by the way, great place for, pea meal is excellent there. The, uh, we're sitting in the restaurant and I was thinking about how much of the, our, the other people's souls are affecting us. This is important for this teaching. It kind of was going off on me as we were talking about it. How many of you know that you can walk into a room after two other people have been fighting and you know, they're smiling right now, but they were fighting only a second ago. How many of you know that feeling? That's it? How many of you know that feeling? Okay. You're being affected by the, the, the souls of those other people. How many of you know that? That's what you're picking up. It's like electromagnetic zippity-doo-dah that's going on in the zone. So that means maybe, maybe you're not on fire with fury right now, so, but you're still thinking something. 
You still got, maybe not you, of course, you're victory people, but if you go out into the world, then you don't, maybe there's fear around you. Right. Maybe there's people who are scared. Maybe there's people who are hopeless. Maybe there's people who are selfish. People who are full of all of these things in their soul. When you wander into the Tim Hortons or wherever you go, you're just picking up. All of this soul activity. And it's subtle. It's not like crazy. Like, you know, you've got that, you know, then you feel somebody and they're really like one of those really nasty people and the hair on your back of your, hand, your neck stands up. And so you go, mm, walk over here because it's uncomfortable. Not like that. Just a little bit. So what happens is that when we go into those zones, we're constantly being bombarded because the tipping point of the way the world operates is way over towards the fear, dread, and selfishness side. That's where the world we live in. Maybe not the whole world, but certainly the world we live in. So that's why we tend always to have this diligence that's required in order to maintain that. Can I tell you something? I think that's where God's trying to take this teaching. He's trying to take it to the point that when you go to the Tim Hortons, somebody comes in there ripping mad and all of a sudden they're happy. Mm. You know why that happened? Because just like you were affected by their negative, and you say, oh, I don't know why I feel so bummed out now. Instead, they start to pick up your joy. Amen. They start to pick up your hope. They start to pick up your confidence in the future. And they become, they feel better. Can I tell you, I think that's why people feel good coming in here. So I felt terrible this morning, but oh, thank goodness I came to church. How many of you had people tell you that? Yes. I think that's what they're picking up. I said, you're just all such good people. You're happy. You know, church is such a drag, you know. It's just <laughs> I can't stand it, you know. That's not how it is around here. Right, you come in the door, somebody hands you a cup of coffee, soon a cappuccino maybe, Julia. They, you know, they're happy to see you. They're glad you came. They can't wait to see the great things that you're about to do. They got to how people are. And you pick it up. I'm way the heck off my notes right now. <laughs> but can I tell you something? I think that's what God's trying to do by open up, opening up these words, eternal life to us. Yeah. That what we're supposed to be operating like on this planet is we're supposed to look like, we're supposed to mimic Jesus. Amen. We're supposed to look like him. People are supposed to come to us and say, hey, how do I get what you got? How do I have that that you just, how do you be so happy? I know what's going on here. How do you be so happy going through what you're going through? How come every time I get around you, I just feel good? Like you taking something? <laughs> you know, in our world, you know, can I have some of that? So as I'm, I'm looking at this then, as I'm preparing for today, I've been kind of, it's been mulling with me and I've had all kinds of intersections this week with people to kind of chat about what I want to share with you and I've tried it out on a few people, mostly Pastor Alex. And the, I, I'm, I'm kind of zeroing in here on something about the mechanism of the manifestation of this thing called kingdom life or life filled with eternal life, this thing that ignited and went around the world in a hundred years. And that's not just a good idea. That's something people experienced. They saw something. They experienced it. And I really believe that as we are moving forward into this, this apostolic age right now, that this is the marker of the apostolic age. 
this presence, but it's not just presence as in God came to church. It's like on you. And wherever you go, whatever you touch, yes. where, whoever you yes. encounter, whatever, whoever you talk to, whoever you bless, they're just, their life is like shockingly, yes, oh my, what, what was, and that's, can I tell you something? I believe that's what they experienced when Jesus was around. It was just like, well, you guys, what, what the heck have I just experienced? And so it's zeroing me in on like, what's the most important things about this kingdom life. If we're going to say Christianity is, you know, has been, has been good to us, it's held us, it's, we're standing on the shoulders of all these great people who have sacrificed for the kingdom and for Christianity, but we're going into a season that is going to be the, the resurrection of this concept of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we step into this zone, what's the important stuff? Of course, when the Lord asked me that, I said, I, said I, I already had the list. Pray, read your Bible, go to church and fellowship with believers of like passion. <laughs> he was quiet, strangely. I was just a good answer for him. <laughs> and so he was quiet with me. And so he said, I think he's asking me to think a little more deeply because those are just the pat answers. If you pray, you should pray. If you read your Bible, study the word. Yeah, you should do that. Go to church, you sure should do that. We want to be a good person. You know, we should worship God. We should praise. We should be thankful. We should be grateful. Yep, 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 yep. But can I tell you what I've, I feel like the Lord is trying to share with us here? Is that that's not the first things you need to learn. Those things are all good. And I'm, I, certainly those are very valuable. But they are not a value unto themselves. So what we do is this is how we've become. Is that we pray in order to get better at praying. So praying is an end unto itself. Do you see that? And we've learned these. And that's not that those are bad things. Those have come to us traditionally from people who have learned about their relationship with God. And they've passed down to us these wonderful trophies of the victories of their discoveries and the revelations in their lives. The problem is, is that we can pray and not, can I tell you something? Can we just have a moment here? I know people who pray, but they're not very nice people. And they couldn't manifest supernatural things to get themselves out of a wet paper bag. I know people who fast, and they're nasty. I know people who worship God, and then they go home and live like the devil. I, I'm not saying I know them like they're sitting on the front row. I mean, I know that they're... I know, see, I know what you're thinking. I'm, I'm, t I'm telling you is that all, how many of you can be honest, can we have a moment here of transparency in the kingdom to say, we know people who do the pray, read your Bible, go to church and fellowship with believers are like passion and they're still not really looking much like Jesus. Is that not true? Am I, not, am I okay here? Am I just the only one that observed such a thing? I think that's the problem and the world really doesn't want to have anything to do with us. Because we do all of these things, but we still know the person across the road is nicer than the Christian that lives down the street. And more generous, by the way. And does more for his community and does more for the people in... That's just how... So we got to look at it and say, wait a minute. Now, I'm not saying those things are... But it can't be bad. The Bible tells us to study and to pray and to... It tells us to do all those things. So it can't be wrong. So it took me back a step took me deeper into the hole, as it were, about what, 
matters. Sort of was this, the thing that the Lord says, it's, it came out in my head like this. Make sure you teach your children these things. Can we share 11 minutes and 58 seconds of these things? I wrote them down as essential personal abilities. And you get nervous because, oh, I won't be able to do it. No, you, everybody can do these. Everybody can do these. You may not have the ability to do them very well yet, but you can do them. Don't let the devil talk you out of, oh, no, no, I'm just one of those people that can't do that. No, that's not true. Everybody can do these things. The problem, I suspect, is that we have never valued these things as essentials, essential personal abilities. And because we have not valued these things necessarily, we haven't developed them. But if we develop them, what I can almost guarantee you is that focusing on developing these things are going to ignite all the other things. Because these things are the essential seedbed in order for the principles of the kingdom to actually function. It's kind of like, you know, we could wire this building perfectly with all the electrical wires and switches and components and bulbs and doodahs and all that stuff. But if we don't ever hook it up to the power at the street, nothing's ever going to come out. You just don't turn the light bulb. It doesn't work just because you have the light bulb. The light bulb has got to be connected all the way back. How many of you, that's how it works. So that's what these things are. They're going to be personal attributes that are going to empower us to connect to the principles that God has given us about the kingdom of God. Now, we already know the principles. The thing that we've got to work on is these abilities. It's kind of like the internal, the ability to make them real in our lives is going to come from these just very few things that we're going to, I'm going to share with you today. Number one, personal ability is the ability to control your thoughts and feelings. We may only get this far today, by the way. (laughs) I need somebody to do my scribing today. Thoughts and emotions. No, that's okay. I can't tell you how, and I look back on my life, I've been at this for a few years now, and I look back on my life as a Christian, before as a Christian too, my way of controlling my thoughts and emotions were first of all to get rid of all my emotions, I was Spock, live long and prosper, I didn't have any use for emotions, but obviously that made me somewhat of a stoic person who really didn't enjoy much about life, so then I started to venture back into the Pandora's box of my emotions, and I very quickly learned that the ability to control your emotions, particularly the negative ones, are not that easy. (laughs) What we do, can I tell you, negative emotions are harder to control than positive ones. You know, you can feel excitement and go, hallelujah. (laughs) You don't have any problem controlling them on the positive side. I feel like dancing right now, but nope. Crying, however, misery, heartbreak, that's not so easy to stop in the middle of the process, is it? How many of you can say, you know what, I think I've experienced a bit of that. That ability to control your negative emotions and your negative thoughts 
is essential. What happens in the kingdom is <clears throat> God is giving the truth of that principle to you, but as you are trying to lay hold of that principle, you're having all of this other contrary evidence that is coming at you like a storm. And your ability to remain calm and focused on what God has said in the face of all of this negative stuff is essential to the ability to grow in the confidence and trust in the Lord. Because if every time that we come into that, I'm trusting God, trusting God, trusting God, you know, Paul gets up and shakes his fist at me and I run. I will never know right. if God was going to take care of Paul or not. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If the devil's coming and chasing me, if I run, <clears throat> I'll never know if God was going to intervene, which he was going to do. But I have to learn that all of this internal illusionary feelings and thoughts have, uh, have to be governed, have to be established. And I have a list of them if we had more time. I, half of this, you think I got a lot of notes here. Most of these notes are scriptures that the Bible talks to us about controlling our thoughts and emotions. And they go on and 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 on. Because God is, is telling us, if we don't develop this discipline, can I tell you something? This is simply a discipline. That's all it is. Nobody can't do this. It's a willingness. And what I think God is trying to bring to us is he's trying to express to us that if we just start where you are and just take a little step forward, I had to do this before. I used to wake up every morning. This was years ago now. We started the ministry. The... Anyways, let's not go back to stories when I have six minutes and 11 seconds left. <laughs> but I would wake up every morning with this deep and dark sense of foreboding. Do you know what that, that word means? Like I had, I was, it was like something bad was about to happen. And I would wake up that way every single morning for like two years. And I saw Dr. Pratula about it, and I talked to Tina about it, and we had all these strategies about it. And, and although we beat them, and I could get out of bed after a little while, at first I couldn't get out of bed. It was just, I just, I'm just terrified. And I learned what I had to do was stop paying attention to that foreboding. I thought something bad was going to happen yesterday, and it didn't. So then I wake up today and the devil says, it's going to happen today. No, it's not. And I had to stop allowing. And now this was happening. Remember, I'm, I'm a slow waker-upper. I'm a caffeine waker-upper. Let's put it like that. So what's happening is I'm not really alert. And so I, by the time I was alert, I was already in, in the pit. Because my soul started when the sun came up. I started, you know, an hour and a half later. And so I had to learn, and if it just became a discipline. I'd wake up, I'd feel the feeling, I'd say, no, God's on my side. Yesterday was great, it's always going to be great. My life is awesome, nobody has a life like mine. Work myself through it, get rid of the negative emotion, get out of bed and have a great day. Then the next day, come back, foreboding was there, again, get out of bed, go and have a good day. But slowly but surely, how many of you know what happened? Now I wake up in the morning and I'm the happiest guy in the whole world. I mean, once I've had the coffee, of course. But, 
but I don't have that foreboding feeling anymore. And every now and again, it came back. I remember t told you last, uh, where are we now? We're in, uh, it would have been October, so last year, one or two days, and all of a sudden, bleh. But you know what, sucker, you know, you come here again. It was gone in a day and a half, two days. You have to learn this. Because what happens is there's so much that goes on in our world in the realm of the soul. I remember Pastor Tina had this when we were first Christians. She was never been an emotion, like, oh, like uh, you know, she's a woman, of course. She's got a very strong, I'm not, that's not negative. Uh, no, now guys have to do that. Guys focus on your thoughts. Girls have to focus more on their emotions. That doesn't mean guys don't have emotions. That doesn't mean girls don't have thoughts. But you can 75, 25 it here to say you're kind of weighted depending on your gender. What was I saying? And so Tina used to have all of these negative emotions coming up, particularly, particularly when we went to church. And the Lord began to show her those aren't your emotions. You're picking up other people's emotions. And you have to learn to know which are yours and which are theirs. Because if you're used to, like, our, you know, our Facebook culture of, you know, as soon as I feel the emotion, oh, let's dig into it. Can we sit down and have coffee about it? Let's have a tea. Get all my girlfriends around. Let's talk about my negative emotions right now. We engage right into those negative emotions. They weren't even yours. I need to talk to my therapist. No, you don't. The other person might have to talk to theirs, but you don't have to talk to yours. Because all you're doing is you're picking up these negative things. Then the devil maybe wants to come and give you a good kick in the side of the head. That's going to create some emotions. He's going to tell you that you're ugly and stupid and will never amount to anything. Okay, it's going to feel bad for a second. But you've got to know how to deal with that. Because if he says it, how do you, if he, he's the father of what? Lies. And everything he ever says is a? Lies. So when he says you're ugly and stupid and will never amount to anything, what should you do? Whoop, whoop. Because I know one thing, I ain't that. Because if he said it, he's lying. But you see, what happens is if we get into it, oh, yeah, told you. <laughs> Hang on, I'll be back. I'm going to go up to my bedroom for two or three hours and meditate on this, and I'll be back. I'll be fine when I get back. No, you won't be fine. You'll have just taken your soul down a rung, and then you'll come back to church. I'll tell you next week again exactly what I told you this week, and you'll go, oi, if I don't. Because this, controlling negative thoughts and emotions, is an essential. Imagine in the olden days, these stories that shock us about the martyrs of old. These people, you know, I, I can't tell you something. Anybody can preach a message real good until they're going to burn you at the stake. That's my lesson. That's my rule for today. You know, it's a takeaway for you. But when they're going to shoot you or they're going to burn you at the stake, how many of you would recant? Don't tell me. Don't put your head, don't put your hand up. But you're, you're going to be tested. You've got to be able to control your thoughts and emotions. Right. You've got to be able to stay firm on what you believe. And there's a, this is our history. These are the people on whose shoulders we stand, who have, who have been able to, to persevere with the truth and the, and the father of the truth in, in the face of enormous atrocities and personal tragedies. We're talking about people who, could, who had a vice grip on their soul. All we have to do, can I, and this is my lesson. Uh, this is what my journey is right now. I want to learn how to control my thoughts and emotions. 
Or come on, spit in my face. Go on, take a go. See if I can take it. Spit again. <laughs> now, uh, now that's going to sound like you're inviting bad things in your life. No, I'm saying toughen up. Can I say it as your dad in the ministry? Can you have, can you have a negative thought and just get rid of it? Just stop thinking it. And stir yourself up and jump up and down a little bit and go whoop, whoop, whoop. That didn't work. Do it again. Jump up and down again. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Until it goes away. Because if we don't do this, this is what I'm, I'm telling you. I've, this is my journey. This is my journey. I've lived in the kingdom now for 30 or five years. And most of it has been a misery based on my own inability to control my thoughts and emotions. Now that I've taken on this quest to control my thoughts and emotions, two things. I want to control my thoughts and emotions, and I want to know God as lover of my soul and father of my life. Amen. It's not that complicated. Now, if we jump into Revelation and we have a that's going to get a little complicated. But this is not complicated. And I just want to know, like that song, where is Jess? What's this? How's it go? The one song I asked you to do? No, even as I hear it from the back, I can feel it all over me. There's no mountain you won't climb up, no shadow you won't knock back, no thing you won't <laughs> watch me call it, and other whatever. I think I can handle this worship leader scuff. Come on. But every time I hear, you know what I just, all I want to do is just, I, want to lo- I just want God to lo- love on me. Come on, God, show me what it means Amen. to be loved by God. Anyways, where was I? So let's finish up here. I'm zero, 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 zero. Okay, let me finish up here. So let's, uh, to ch- oh gosh, man. Okay. Uh, here, let, okay, so the ability to control your thoughts and emotions. Here's the subheadings. Ready? You braced? Hold on to the person next to you. The ability to not get what you want when you want it. Ooh, I know, eh? Huh? Say it again. Say it again. Yeah? Say it again. Are you sure? Okay, I'll come closer to Danielle to say it. The ability to not get what you want when you want it. You owe me 20 bucks. (laughs) Number two. So you wonder why I'm so well treated as a pastor. This is why. The ability to not respond impulsively to any given situation, no matter how severe. (laughs) The Lord said to me when I was, we were back in prayer room there. He says, to choose to act justly. Bible, you know, the Bible doesn't say it. It it sounds like it's out of the Bible. It's out of the book of Hezekiah. It said to seek justice... (laughs) And love mercy. Kind of uh, Psalm 89 kind of stuff. To seek justice, but love mercy. So you got called to do that, right? You get into a situation, like, you know, if you're a little fiery personality, for example, and you're a justice person, everything is black and white, then as soon as you get into that situation, you want, bam! You want to start swinging as soon as you get there, right? Or you have a mercy person who everything is shades of gray, and when you get into that situation, you just want to love everybody in spite of all of the stuff they're doing wrong. Mm. Seek justice, 
Love mercy. Can I tell you? That's why when you go to the courts, they need this thing called deliberation time. They got all the facts. They seek justice, but they love mercy in the courts. They don't want to be harsh to anybody, but they want there to be justice for all parties. Can you tell you something? That takes a little thought sometimes. You got to really work it out. I'm not just satisfied with justice. You know, justice and mercy is on the same wheel, right? Justice comes around, and after justice is served, then mercy sticks over, and then when mercy is served, justice takes over again, and it's just around and around and around and around and around we go. But we have to take a moment sometimes to make sure that the decisions that we make are to seek justice and love mercy. That takes a minute. And so we have to become those people that can... Now, I take this situation, you know, the cell phone bill comes in the mail, and the first thing I want to do is go ripping through the house and find out who... That's my first th thought. Maybe I should think for a moment. You know, I did that one time, and guess who was the offender on the cell phone? <laughs> so I got to take a moment. And I got to say, okay, now, and what is my response to this? Is it a lack response? Is it a misery response? Is it an anger response? Is it a fear response? I got to go through, wait a minute, I'm not going to respond like that. Maybe I feel like I want to, but I don't want to respond like that. I want to choose wisely. Can I tell you that is a gift of being able to slow down. Don't respond so quickly to bam, what goes on inside of your head. Think it through. Does that make sense? The ability to remain focused. This is, I think, focused is a superpower, man. Especially in our world of, you know, you know what this is? You got to know how to stop that flow and focus in on something. You know, we don't, do we, how many people read books anymore? No, we don't read books. We read blogs because they go fast. You have to learn how to be focused. The ability to stabilize now at any time. That's what really we're talking about here. This is controlling your thoughts and emotions is the ability to stabilize now. Can I do that? Extroverted people tend to be the ones that jump into the situation. Introverted people go hide in the back. Can I tell you, neither of them are right. You have to st stabilize right now so that your thoughts and emotions, can I remain in a place of peace all the time? Can I properly assess everything that's going on around my life and be in peace all the time? If I can't do that, can I tell you something? That is simply a skill. It's an ability that can be developed in your soul. All you have to do is start using the ability that you have now. So the very next thing, it's, Pastor Ian's taking a bit long. How are you feeling about that? It's a little bit cold in here or hot in here, dark in here, light in here. So whatever you're feeling, stop. It's a little awkward now. It's going quiet. Stop. Be good. Y'all good? Coffee's maybe getting cold and you're getting nervous. No, don't get nervous. That's the ability, and you have to practice it all the time. Do you know that if you can stand on one leg, you can do this? It's actually not hard to do. It's about 10 minutes from now. Because I don't have the balance, I haven't done it very much. 
But if I do this all the time, you could stand here for an hour, right? That's all it is. It's just the skill of controlling what is going on inside your thoughts and emotions. And stop, bring it to a halt. Especially if it starts to go crazy. That's what I had to do when I, this was happening with my life. I had to stop, it didn't matter what, I wasn't getting positive yet. I was stopping the, the chaos. Right, I think somebody said it. Tina, Pastor Tina, listen. Focus into Jesus, you know. Just like stop and focus on him. What do you know about him? God is good and he loves me. 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 You don't have to do that for very long. And whatever that turmoil was, you'll feel it get, comes back into control. Until such time is that you're always thinking, that's what's going on in my life right now, is I'm just always thinking about God is good and he loves me. God is good and he loves me. I'm just noticing it everywhere. God is good and he loves me. Sun's out. God is good and he loves me. My motorcycle starts. God is good and he loves me. David bought breakfast. God is good and he loves me. Right? Because I'm just so aware of it. And so it keeps me as I'm focusing on that, noticing it everywhere. It's keeping me so that situations can come and go. And it really is, it's just not, it's not like it's 220 on the inside of me all the time. Does that make sense everybody? Put your hand over your heart. I'll close here. And say, Jesus, I want to be just like you. Just like you. I want to mimic, I wanna mimic Jesus. Jesus. So Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit help, me help me to gain control, to gain control even gain mastery, even gain mastery over, the thoughts and emotions over the thoughts and emotions that are going on in my soul. Going on in my soul. I know. That's the gateway, That's the gateway to, accessing to accessing the truth, the truth of, God's word, of God's word, getting it into my life, getting it into my life, going through the process, going through the process where I can receive, where I can receive a 30, a 30, 60, 60 a hundredfold harvest, hundred harvest on the word of God, on the word of God that's been planted in my heart. That's been planted in that my heart. when I say it, when I say it, I receive it. I receive it. That's the truth. That's the truth. I'll live out of that truth. And I will live out of that and truth. And the blessing that it creates. And the blessing it creates. For the rest of my life. For the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.